At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Do you want to be the top rated business in your area? Use NiceJob to gather two to three times more reviews and outshine your competitors. NiceJob's simple automated tools will save you time and money while getting you social proof to grow your business. New signups can get $50 off when they mention the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. If you're looking to grow your small business, visit NiceJob at NiceJob.com. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group, and we've been reviewing a ton of tools that can be purchased in their stores, and we're going to do a ton more. We're just delving through. I don't even know if delving's a, a word, but we're just we're going to dive into their pool of tools and grab some more and do some more reviews coming very shortly okay in the meantime check out master.ca hey what's up guys welcome back so last week no podcast i'm sorry i had another holiday yeah yeah i've had two weeks this summer um well that's what happens when you have massive seniority within a company i've been there for over 20 years so i mean every summer i try to take a couple weeks off to chill with the family and just kind of recover from from everything right everything that's going on with within the hvac life that i lead and i, and I hope you guys take advantage of time off as well because it's very important that time off is what refreshes your body refreshes your mind and gets you back on track anyway that being said I was thinking that we'd have a state of the industry conversation. We got some real down-to-earth techs, real frontline guys here, down-to-earth, and we're going to have this conversation, all right? We have Andrew A. Portelli. Andrew, I hope I pronounced your last name right. Okay, we got Matt Showers and Jamie Christensen on the podcast, and we are going to go round the table and get opinions on different things, and we're going to... We have three main headings here. We have sort of the tech, the pay grade, the training. That That is one kind of heading, right? And then we have the, the equipment. What's new in equipment? What is coming? What is good? What is bad? What we like? And then we move on to tools and methods. And I mean, we could talk about this really for hours upon hours, but we we tried to keep it as short as possible, just over, um, just under an hour and a half of conversation, I believe. So, but, but it's cool. We go back and forth and we don't all agree all the time. So there's a little bit of debate amongst the, the conversation amongst the, the, the panelists or the round table within the podcast. And, and it's always good to have debate because without debate and w- without not arguments, but without professional debate, we can't really move forward and come to conclusions if we're all agreeing. We all we all agree all the time, then we will never move forward in, in any industry in, in life, really. So this conversation is going to happen, and because there's there's four of us, this is the first time we've done four people on the podcast, right? Four guests or three guests plus me. It's the first time we've had four people on the podcast. Now there are times where 
you can hear a little bit of static in the background and i don't know it might have been feedback from one of the one of the mics or something like that but it, it only happens um, a couple times and it's not that bad so anyway guys we're gonna get this conversation done right now state of the industry on the hvac know it all podcast i'm your host gary mccready Welcome to the HVAC Know-It-All Podcast, recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC, from storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. Fellas, uh, so this is the first time we've ever had three guests, so there's four of us on here, so we're like the round table. And this could get messy, but we'll, we'll do our best. Uh, Andrew, how you doing tonight, man? Uh, not too bad. How about you? Good, man. Matt, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Well, I, I'm glad. I'm glad this is not a. Um, we're we're not typing because you can't correct my uh, my spelling during this podcast. This is very true. This is very true. You can you can correct my uh, my literacy while I speak. I guess. <laughs> Uh, oh no! Well, you've been you've been fine on that. Oh, <laughs> I'm, sure, cool. I'm sure he's going to give it the old college try, anyways. Well, th- welcome back, Matt. Matt, this is your second time on the podcast. And Jamie, how mm-hmm. you doing tonight, man? I'm good, man. This is your this is your second go around too, man. And the last time we had an awesome chat about uh, you moving on uh, from the company that you were previously at to, to the new one, and, and there was a lot of good feedback on that. So I'm glad you're here, and and I'm, we're going to have a cool talk about the state of the industry as it is right now. And, and I think you guys are all opinionated enough to, to give your strong opinions on this, right? And I, I think we're going to start off, as we discussed previously, with the employee, the HVAC employee, and, and it's tra- training base, apprentices, techs, pay grade, all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. let's start with you, Andrew. Yeah. Right now, right now, you're a fully licensed tech, right? Correct. Okay, so yeah. the company you're at, are you, what are you seeing as far as new techs coming in? Um, are you finding it easy to to get them and keep them, or are you finding it hard to get them in the first place? So uh, for our company, I, I currently work for a manufacturer, and for our company, getting the techs is not, uh, or getting the apprentices is not that difficult. It's okay. ensuring that they're the proper apprentices for this application, for this mm-hmm. uh, part part of the industry. And that, I, I wish there was a science to it because it's not easy. Sometimes it's hit and miss. Sometimes we get great, great guys. Um, ideally, uh, for my, uh, my opinion, ideally I'd want to see someone who is completely green but mm-hmm. has the right attitude. I like that. That yeah. that to me is the most important thing because you can teach anything and everything um, as long as they have the right attitude and they're willing to learn. When you get some guys who say they've been in the trade a year or two and they've developed some habits that aren't necessarily the best, they can be tough to break. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. Uh, so I, I like that stance, bringing in somebody that's totally green and as long as they're green and you teach them the right way and they're a good person, I think they're going to be successful. But if they're, uh, if they're not, if their character 
is is not good off the bat that's that's a problem and i think hiring for character if if you have two resumes that are very similar to each other that's why you have to meet these people because you you need to meet them and get a get a first impression of them right and then hire for character matt matt you agree with that oh yeah absolutely um i mean with where i am um most of our apprentices are in the helper role they are and a lot of them are on what our 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 business has divided into like what i would call the service side and then the construction or install side and so we have a lot of helpers on our construction side um and, and a lot of that i mean there i don't see those guys too often they start earlier than i do but as far as me on the service side we've picked up some um some new techs that are a little greener or they come in and they're still learning a little bit. They've not, they're not as experienced, but again, yeah, I would agree with what Andrew said. It's more about the attitude. Like if you have someone that has a great attitude and they're willing to learn and they show uh, basically that they care about the the customers and this industry and what they're doing, that's, that's, that is key right there. Um, There are too many people, at least in my company, and I'm not sure what it's like with um, some of you other guys with, you know, older techs, that just don't seem to care anymore. They're just kind of on their way out. They're kind of hit cruise control and they just don't seem to care to learn anything new. And so they're just like, I really don't want to learn anything new about this inverter or communicating or geothermal stuff. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I want to, I'm ready to punch my ticket out of here basically. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I see that too, where there's a lot of complacency and, and you can, you don't have to, it's not even within the company I work for just in general, when you when you hop online and start talking to other techs, it seems to be the older ones, and I'm not I'm not discrimin- discriminating age. It's just it seems to be the older techs. Uh, some of them, some older techs, uh, they have a new school mentality. It, it, the, an old school mentality doesn't have to be related to age. You could have a 25 year old tech that's been taught by an old school grumpy tech, and have that mentality too, right? But but I notice it's that old school mentality. It's usually within the older sort of demographic that they shy away from new stuff because they don't want to learn it. And, and, and you're right that if, if they, I mean, I guess it's their prerogative, right? If they're on their way out and they don't need to, I'm like, well, why, why would they start from scratch and learn something new if they're on their way out? But at the same time, it's not really showing the young guys how we should go about our business in, in the field. Andrew, you wanted to say something? Uh, yeah, I just want to build off your point about uh, learning something new. That's something else that I like to see in, in a new apprentice or even a tech I'm working with. That their, I, I want to say, ability to jump into something new knowing nothing about it and just put the work in and figure it out. That is a huge feather in someone's cap and I'd be happy to work with that person again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, me too. So... Jamie, I'm going to come to you on on pay structure. Now, you don't have to you don't have to reveal to us what you're currently making if you don't want to, but like in your area and and this is like it it seems like it, it's a geographical thing with pay cuz somebody the other day is like, "Hey guys, I, I think it was on the the app, the app actually. Somebody was saying that they make 20 bucks an hour in refrigeration. Should they be making more as a third year running their own calls?" So, Jamie, in in that state of things, when someone's a third year refrigeration, uh, running their own calls, like 20 bucks an hour, even though it might be a low cost living area, it seems like a low pay grade to me. Uh, what, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I would agree. That's low. Um, I mean, I'm in the union, so our pay is very structured with, you know, your what year you are uh, per second, third, fourth, or a journeyman, a foreman. Um, so everybody gets paid. That's the minimum. Now, companies can pay you over scale, but the union contract is you can't get paid less than this if you're a third year guy or a journeyman. Um, and like in my area, the union's very strong and it's obviously it's Seattle area. It's, you know, the cost of living is expensive. So, I mean, we get paid, you know, I think we get paid, you know, definitely a fair wage in our area. But like, I think when I got into the union, I got accepted as a third year apprentice. And I think I was, at 26 bucks an hour and that was eight years ago um because mm -hmm. they gave me credit for some experience now i mean we've had a couple of contracts since then so i think now probably third year guy would be getting paid probably around 30 bucks an hour at least yeah that's Might be more <clears throat> that's what i kind on of the thought check. That, that's that's kind of the 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 rough i i said i pro approximately 28 i think that's what i answered to him because i'm just going on based on on what we um our techs make up in the toronto area and, and andrew you can attest to that too like our the company i work for is kind of uh they, they kind of go with union rates um and union rate and andrew what's union rate right now in the toronto area it's like 54 take home are we talking for like a that? third year or uh yeah for a mechanic it's roughly 54 I could get yeah, the rough... check for you if you wanted or oh it's it, it's okay we don't need yeah. the exact but so for a third year for a third year doing their own stuff. Well, what what is it union right now? Uh approximately, probably, approximately. roughly seventy percent of that. Oh let's call it forty bucks. Thirty five to yeah. yeah, about thirty five bucks, I think. Yeah, about thirty five bucks. That's what I yeah. figured. And 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 then and then when you break it down to, to US dollars, we're looking at like twenty eight, twenty nine bucks or something like mm -hmm. that. So that's that's I was sort of in that ballpark and he said, he said, uh, is anybody, I think his next post was like, is anybody in Canada hiring or something like that? Can I come up <laughs> there and work up there? So <laughs> a, a, anyway, um, so it, it's just very weird to see all these different pay grades around, um, different areas of, of North America and, and Jamie, cause you're in the union, um, Matt, I'll get to you in a second, Jamie, cause you're in the union. Are you seeing that? there's a high level of training, um, at the union you're at right now? Yeah. I mean, they have, they have a, you know, a curriculum continuing education, um, that they send out quarterly and, you know, so they offer all kinds of classes, obviously with the COVID crap, you know, things have kind of slowed down a bit. Um, but I feel like, and this just might be me because I constantly ask, my employers and and you know supply houses for training and stuff like that but i feel like i do more training outside of the union hall than i do at the union hall at this point in my career um you know but they the classes are there so one thing i've ran into since being in the union is um you know they went through a stretch there that they have the curriculum but they don't have anybody to teach it you know mm -hmm. so i'm asking my business rep i'm like Hey, what's up with all the continuing education classes? And he's like, you know, we're working on, we're working on it. And it, you know, kind of came down to it just recently. Is like, well, we have the curriculum, we just don't have anybody to teach it. And then they're asking me, like, well, what do you think about 
you know, teaching some of this stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm interested. I just, I, I'm still at the point where I feel like I have a lot to learn, even though I've been doing it a long time. Like I just, I mean, I don't know if, I, I guess I never thought of myself standing up in front of a classroom teaching it, but like, so I just talked to them and I'll, I'm going to sit down and look at, you know, the stuff they have and, and probably end up teaching classes because I feel like there's probably a lot more people in the same boat that they, they want to learn, but there's nobody there to teach it. You know what I've always, I've always thought, and this is, this could actually be a business for a, a tech with a, a lot of experience is start a mentoring business where you actually take techs out one-on-one and spend time with them maybe for like a, a week or something like that and teach them real world experiences. I've always thought that would be a, a cool uh, gig to set up and then and have a customer base where companies send uh, a green tech, maybe a, a first year or something that that's kind of getting their kind of cutting their teeth a little bit, but they need a lot more uh, technical help and stuff like that. Send them for a week. You, you have a rate that you charge for training this guy for a week and it's one on one. And I always thought that that would be like a, a cool business model if something like that could take off. It's actually a pretty good idea. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I was thinking. So if you don't want to stand up in front of a classroom, maybe, maybe you could talk to, I, I don't know, like how, how, if your union, you can negotiate with them on this, but Hey, can I teach guys in the field? Can I go out in the field and teach them instead of in a classroom? Because that's what I like to do better. But anyway, it was it just, just a, a thought I had. And uh, I'll leave that with you for a minute. Cause I know Matt had his hand up here, Matt, what, what did you want to throw in there? Yeah, you were saying about the, the pay grade and such. And it's funny because you guys were talking about like, you know, these 30s plus um, pay rates. And where I am in South Central Pennsylvania here in the Harrisburg, uh, York area, um, I'm kind of making close to that 30 right now. And I've been doing this now for almost nine years. But that's just because of we it's a bit of a, like the cost of living thing. Like you guys are saying, I know like um, basically you guys are all in a more of a metropolitan area, much bigger than my area. I mean, I'm kind of metropolitan with Harrisburg, but not as much as if it would be like Philadelphia or even like New York City. Um, like even an example for that is I was talking with um, Neville. You remember him, Gary? Yeah. Um, and um, he I was talking with him. We chat every now and then. And he said he's making like he's doing like forty seven dollars an hour up in NYC or whatever. And I'm like and I told him what I'm getting. And he's like, how in the world can you afford to live? I'm like, dude, your cost of living is twice as much as it is where I am. That's why. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's, it's, a, I mean, the cost of living can be a huge thing. And yeah. And then even to echo kind of like what you were saying with Jamie too, about, um, this, uh, like an apprentice model thing where you have like an older person. I think you and I talked about that before. Cause I have, we have someone in our company now that kind of does that. He just rides around with newer, with some of the newer guys and just basically rides with them and they learn from him. Some of the tick, uh, tricks and tips of the trade and from his experience, and he's been doing it over 40 years. So that's mainly what his purpose is within the company is just to ride around and train techs? At this point, yeah. Even our boss has said, I don't pay him for what he does. I pay him for what he knows. You have a good boss then. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Well, and, and even that too is, you know, I said earlier about guys not wanting to learn. You know, these are the guys that they say, you know, they're not, they maybe have, I'll say 10 years or so until they retire. But then they're in the same breath. They're saying, I don't want to learn anything. But then they turn around and say, well, I haven't gotten a pay raise in so long. And my mentality is based on what I've learned from others is, well, have you done anything to make yourself more valuable? If not, why, why should he pay you more? 
Yeah. No, it, it, it makes sense. And so, so it's a good segue to like the, the topic within the topic is, is training. And we taught, we touched on it a little bit there when we're talking to Jamie, um, that the training that, that we see these days, like we've seen this shift, massive shift because of COVID to online training. Uh, there's, there's companies like interplay learning that have all these awesome sims that any person can it's like 20 bucks or 25 bucks or something like that for a month and you can join all these sims and, and do troubleshooting like right from your couch i know it's not the same it's not the same as being in the field but at least it gives you a little bit of a, a heads up on what you might see and there's a lot of other companies that have done uh online training because of covid like um they, they used to fly around to different cities and train techs at like their local union or at a shop. They had to stay put and train like through Zoom or whatever and set up studios in, in their in their houses. Did you guys do any of that training? Like, Andrew, I'll start with you. Did you do any training um, like this new age training that's all online instead of in person in the last year and a half? Quick break, guys. So Testo has streamlined their digital manifold, the 550S, the 557S. I have the 557. I love it. It is super handy, especially everything's on one screen. When you're connected to the app, any refrigerants in there, any changes to anything updates through the app to the device. So there's no like uploading of anything or updating firmware or anything like that. So very, very cool stuff there. I had a chance to demo the Navac, this is a, a flaring tool, basically a manual and, and uh, I guess electric flaring tool because you can use a drill as well or, or an impact gun. It is the NFT67D. Now it comes with a block, comes with the, the flaring tool and a flaring gauge. You can do it by hand or you can put like a, a Robbie bit or something on the end of your impact and use that to make the flare. It snaps once the flare is done. It makes a 45 degree angle flare. It fits in the flare gauge perfectly, guys. So it, it is a cool tool. It's it's affordable. It's about $138, $139 at True Tech Tools. And there's a savings there of 8% with promo code KNOWITALL. And that's for anything in the store, including the Testo stuff, except for Fluke and Fleer. Haven IAQ is doing some awesome things within the, the industry when it comes to indoor air quality. Their cam, their central air monitor, if you want to try it for yourself before you recommend it to your customers, they have a personal use program where you can do that. Now, the other thing is Dan Foss has released these uh, refrigeration, basic refrigeration courses, like fundamentals of, of refrigeration. I'm trying to spit that one out. Um, and, and what they're for is for techs that want to learn refrigeration from the grassroots, the basics. So if you're interested, I will leave a link right for you in the podcast notes here so you guys can go check that stuff out. All right, so check that out. Basic stuff is, you really need to understand the basics before you can go to anything advanced. Because if you don't have the grassroots there, you're not going to learn it and you're not going to retain it properly. And that's what these courses are all about. And then last but not least, guys, we have the Yellow Jacket has come out with some new Y-Jack tools. One of them is a, is a pressure transducer. All right, that pressure transducer has a very unique feature. It's got a T on it for charging or recovery if you need to. Um, that way you don't have to add any extra fittings onto it if you need to add a charge. So very cool stuff coming out of Yellow Jacket, guys, but let's get back to the boys here and continue this conversation. Uh, so yes, I've actually been involved on both sides okay. as the instructor and as the student. 
it is uh, a new experience to say the least. I, I feel like as a student, it was sometimes more tough to stay involved and interested because it's not like you're, you're there and you can interact in person. Well, yes, you can still interact online. It's a whole different dynamic. And occasionally, depending on the instructor, they might just drone on and on about uh, whatever's on the PowerPoint or on the slides or this and that. Uh, and on the other side, as an instructor, I'm basically going to mirror what I just said. It's difficult to keep people involved. I found I had to... So a bit of background, I teach a second year apprentice course mm -hmm. um, just some basic refrigeration theory electrical theory i had to involve little um games little troubleshooting scenarios just to spur conversation and get these guys going this was online or in person this was online okay um in person i didn't have to worry about that as much okay. online i really had to find ways to get them involved and I worry that sometimes because they're not as involved, things don't stick as well. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know what? I've read that an interactive classroom is better than a, a classroom where someone is just speaking like a, a lecture, uh, like through discussion, interactive discussion through. So I don't know if you do any of that, but, but I think that would help. Um, when yeah, you actually definitely. throw it, throw it back and make them discuss, uh, the topic, because then through discussion, you sprout these like ideas and aha moments and like light bulbs go off and stuff like that. And, and rather than just the, 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 the droning voice of a teacher, I'm not saying like <laughs> your voice is like that, but I'm just saying like, when, you know, when you're in a classroom, it's like no, definitely. day after day, it's the same teacher talking and over and over and over. It's like, Oh my God. And then like, when they do something different yeah. to grab attention, like, uh, like Rick, um, my, my pal, Rick, um, Resigno, who's a teacher in uh, New York area, New York or New Jersey. I can't remember which one. I think it might be New Jersey. Um, he had the text or the, the, the students bring out their phones every once in a while to get that, yeah. to get that addiction to their phone um, sort of off the table. Now, what he was doing with the phones probably related to what they were, were doing in the class. But you can you, you know that people these days, it's like the phone is an addiction. They got to look at it every once in a while to just just to have it in their hand. It's like smoking a cigarette. Once you get addicted to that motion, um, even when people quit smoking like that motion, they're addicted to it. Um, it's like the motion of grabbing your phone and, and scrolling through it. It's like an addiction. So that's Cer what he that's what he was implementing into some of his, his teachings. Um, yeah, and I was trying to use that to my advantage as well. Uh, get the yeah. addiction out of the way. I would play quiz games on there. I'd have them look up certain things for me or download certain apps like a refrigerant uh, or a PT chart for their phone, uh, different things to help them in the field. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, you guys switched. J Jamie, now you're in Matt's spot. <laughs> <laughs> on the screen on the screen the Dang audience does, the audience doesn't know what we're talking about so jamie you're you're gonna be next here so as far as training goes have you done any of this online stuff that that's been coming through lately 
Yeah, yeah, I did. I did, I think, three online training. Uh, one was Mitsubishi City Multi, and, you know, I have to agree with Andrew. It's, you know, it's, I, I think it's better than nothing, but it's definitely a lot different than, you know, being in person because it, you know, like I'm doing it from my house, and, you know, I'm interested, but it's just not really grabbing your attention as much as being, like, in, in a classroom, you know, doing hands-on. I mean, me personally, you know, I'm a hands-on guy. You can sit there and talk to me for 10 minutes explaining something, but it's like, if you just showed to me one time, I'm like, okay, now I understand. Yeah. Um, you know, but during, and, and it was more towards the, the beginning, you know, of COVID last summer when I did these. And I mean, it was nice because I wasn't working at the time for a couple of them just to kind of keep my mind in HVAC and, and learn some new stuff. But, you know, when I did the Mitsubishi class, I was back to work and, you know, it's, it's like a refresher, you know, I mean, I already had this book and now it's all written in it and they just kind of went over the same stuff. I think they were just trying to offer something to their clients, you know, like here we're still doing training, but it was kind of like a, a kind of a half-ass course as you, you might say you know what i mean yeah i don't i don't yeah i i i don't think that you could do a full-on proper course online when it comes to equipment because you can't see it and you can't touch it and you can't put your hands on it and and it's a shame because that's i i think maybe that's the way a lot of training is going to be um that's kind of what they're gravitating to now i think uh because we can do these sims and stuff makes it a lot better um, because we can actually build a sim of what the machine actually looks like and put on a, like a, a VR headset and actually touch it and take it apart. I did this one time at a trade show here in, in Toronto where it, it was Copeland that had it and you put this VR headset on and basically you go into a room and you start ripping apart a compressor one like bolt by bolt and taking the pieces apart. And it was, it was cool. the coolest thing I, I've ever seen. Yeah, it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I believe that um, I'm going to dig into this a little bit more, but that's sort of what Interplay Learning is doing with, with the VR headset. And I know I know there's other other training, free training out there. Like Danfoss has a ton of free training. I think they just released uh, like six modules of basic refrigeration that's free. Um, I'll, I could try to find the link for that and put it in the, the podcast notes so you guys can check that out too. And, and that's all free stuff. But um, I think we got to move on to the, the next sort of block here. And our second block, and I'll start with you, Matt, is equipment. The state of equipment in this industry as of today, like what excites you about equipment now um, as opposed to when you first started nine years ago? Um, what I like is... With especially with some of the new stuff is where you have at least with like the communicate like say I work with carrier a lot so say with a carrier infinity system and it using the communicating thermostat that system I can go into it um, and if there's any kind of trouble codes it gives me all these different alerts because of all the different sensors and the one thing I like about it as well is whenever I go to do what maintenance at someone's house I can put it into a test mode and in within the test mode it'll give me different readouts it'll give me the suction transducer pressure that it's reading. And it gives you like my suction superheat and my discharge temperature, my line voltage. So it gives me like this nice little readout right on the display so that I don't have to go outside and actually hook up gauges or even go outside with like my meter. I can just look and see what's going on in the comfort of the person's home without having to go out into, you know, whether it's a hot summer or a cold winter, I can go inside and say, yeah, 
your system's looking fine, and then maybe just pop outside to do like a visual check. Um, but I know even with those their systems now, they are able to do some things with uh, Bluetooth, and you can access things remotely with your smartphone with their app using their like a Bluetooth receiver that's built into the unit. I've not tested those yet, but I'm kind of excited about seeing some of those features, and at least in that in that manufacturer. Um, but that that's something I enjoy doing, and even Climate Master, which is the geothermal manufacturer I deal with most. Uh, the nice thing with them is with their new with the newer boards that they put in, I have a service tool and I just plug it in and I can make the system do whatever I want. And same thing, I get all these different readouts from all the different thermistors or all the different transducers. So I can see here's how the system's operating or I can see fault codes and it gives me a readout of what was going on at the time of the fault that it was reading. And that helps me with troubleshooting and diagnostics as well. So did you have to get training on that to to get comfortable with it or is it just something that you just train as you go like self-train as you go i i did take well i did as part of my nate certification um they did send me to a carrier infinity class that our locals um our local wholesaler put on which was good for continuing education hours but it was also then that was just a nice way to kind of say hey this is how these systems work Here's how you operate the controls. Here's how these systems, you know, as far as being able to do the commissioning on them, it, you can type in what your line set length is when you're getting ready to commission the system and say, here's how long uh, my liquid line was. This is what size my suction line was. And then it spits out, okay, we well, need to add this much refrigerant to the system that you already have that already on top of the factory charge. So then you just go out there, weigh out whatever it needs to be. You don't have to do the math. It just spits it out for you. Um, so there was a training on that. And then on the climate master side, that was just more of learning as I go, as you go. Um, to me, it seems self-explanatory, but I, to begin, but even before I started doing HVAC, I was more of a tech person. So I enjoyed working with computers and technology. So having things that are like that in my hand for work is just like a natural fit for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's, I, I was never a techie guy. Like I just started trying to get, sort of techie when i originally started getting like bluetooth tools and i remember getting a headache (laughs) one day so bad when i when i first the first ever gen 1 testos i got and i'm trying to hook them up and and i was having trouble getting all four to hook up to my tablet and this was all new to me and i had such a a bad headache um trying to figure it out and and then i finally got to the bottom of it from talking to one of the the tech people at testo the tablet that i purchased it didn't have enough ram on it uh to accept more than three probes it was just a very cheap tablet that i i purchased because i i didn't know right so anybody that's looking for a tablet they want to run uh, multiple Bluetooth probes off of it, look for something that's got a lot of RAM or has substantial amount of RAM. Like I think I only had like 1.5 RAM on that tablet. And I think I needed a minimum two or something like that to get more than three probes. So I, I think I eventually got another one at some point. Um, But a phone, it's funny how a tablet, like it's such a big piece of equipment compared to a phone, but you can run um, a bunch of, probes off a phone so um just keep that in mind um guys if, if you're looking to purchase a tablet for um for probes but andrew you made a video once um working on a, a danfoss turbo core and I, and I think that this day and age that compressor is is super cool because of the technology behind it 
So maybe you should explain what that is and give us a little bit of background on how it works because I think the turbo core, the oilless compressor with the magnets and the floating bearings is, is like super cool technology. Right. And yeah, it definitely is super, super cool technology. Um, it's, it's a, it is a wonderful compressor. Um, it's able to unload a lot more than your traditional oil centrifugals and Mm -hmm. the applications for it are, are tons. Uh, so yeah, I did make that video talking about, um, just doing some quick maintenance on it. And like with most of my jobs lately, my laptop tends to be my number one tool. Uh, so for that turbo core compressor, how it works. Sorry, my cat just jumped in and distracted me. Uh, so how it works is it's got a permanently magnet, magnetic uh, shaft there. So like a, like an ECM, it's got a permanent magnetic rotor. Okay. And how it works is it's got electromagnets and sensors to see where that shaft is. And the electromagnets will move the shaft up, down, left, right your X, Y, and your Z axis for your thrust bearing uh, to keep it stationary. And that obviously drops a, gets rid of a lot of your friction losses and makes it more efficient. Now, the amount of controls on that thing are just staggering. Built into it is a VFD. Half, half of the compressor is a VFD, essentially. The other half is controls, and then there's the, the actual motor. Um, it's it's a really interesting piece of equipment. I would love to tear one apart. They don't really uh, promote that. <laughs> More so, they just want you to buy a new one. But tearing one apart would be would be quite fun. That's for sure. Well, it's it's definitely cool technology that the bearings can float within magnets and and uh, and and there's like trim on it, so you can like from what I understand, so you can like get it like super centered within um, where it's supposed to be sitting using trim functions and stuff like that? Yeah. So one of our, uh, one of the things we do for a regular maintenance or an annual maintenance, sorry, would be to recalibrate the bearings, ensure they're the sensors are reading properly, ensure the bearings are keeping the shaft where it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And if there's an issue with that, we can recalibrate them and worst case scenario, uh, the control board may need to be replaced. The bearings may need to be replaced. Um, Jamie, we're going to move on to you. As far as equipment goes, what what is impressing you these days, like with the new technology, like VRF, um, I don't know, inverter technology? What what do you see and what's impressing you? Uh, definitely VRF is probably on the top of the list. Um, and then, you know, all the Bluetooth capabilities you know, with tools and units and all that stuff, um, that, that wasn't even like a thought on my, in my brain when I got into the field, you know, almost 20 years ago. So, you know, it's just, it's getting to more of, you know, HVAC is, you know, still really physical with like repairs and stuff, but the diagnostic side of things is really moving into like an IT techie, world you know what i mean yeah definitely laptops and and cell phones and apps with bluetooth and connectivity and all that it's 
and it seems like over the last, you know, probably four or five years, it's really, you know, escalated quite a bit. And more and more people are coming out. Now you got units coming out with like touchscreen. And I know there's, I've seen some density units out there on the residential side of things that <laughs> has the gauges and the touchscreen like right on the, the condensing unit, which is insane. I've never seen one in person. But, you know, everything's, everything's computerized and, and Bluetooth and stuff. And it's, if, if you don't keep up on, you know, that side of things, you're going to be left in the dust. And, you know, and like VRF, I think personally is, you know, the future. So I, I try to devote more time to that area of the field than probably any other area because I run into it so much. I do a lot of you know vrf and ductless and stuff like that because you know the ductless are vrf too but it's just you know a one-to-one -one or a multi-head but it still has the same a lot of the same you know thermistors and technology in there and then you get into a big building with like mitsubishi city multi you know where i can actually hook up my laptop to the maintenance tool and look at the entire building as a whole you know it that that's fun to me but that also gets boring to me too you know if i have to spend hours on a computer like I get bored, but I still, I still like getting on the computer and, and, you know, looking at the system as a whole. Yeah, I, I definitely yeah. hear you. I definitely hear you there. And, and what, what I'll add to that too, and, and this is just my, what my observations and my thoughts of, of how the industry is going as far as manufacturers, it's almost like to work on stuff nowadays, newer stuff anyway. You need to have some sort of training because if you walk up to a city multi-system, uh, let's say you're building or let's say, let's say your company gets a new contract with a building and you walk in and there's like, oh, there's like five condensing units, city multis, and each one has like seven heads. Um, but you've never been trained on how to use the the tool on the laptop. Like you're, you're kind of stuck. It's like you need factory training in order to work on this stuff. And I, I had a, an issue with a Dakin like six months ago. Uh, I had to go install an add-on board. And I think I told the story on the app, but sorry, on the podcast before I had to add, put an add-on board on for an alarm, an output alarm, but it wasn't working. So I had to bring in a Dakin tech and I had already sort of talked to a bunch of people online and found out I had to clip a certain jumper on the board, but none of that literature was available to me uh, on the internet or whatever. And then when he came in, I said to him, hey, this is what this is what somebody told me that's also a Dakin tech. And he went through his literature and found it and I, it wasn't available to me. And it's like almost like the, the manufacturer is holding on to um, some of their own tips and secrets and stuff until you actually get trained with them. What do you think about that, Matt? You think that's that's going that way? As far as being trained, absolutely. Um, because um, one of the things we put in a few years ago was we put in our very first VRF, which was a Fujitsu system. And I had gotten some training on their, not on like their, their heat recovery systems, which is like the, what we call like the, a true VRF with three pipes where you are running simultaneous heating and cooling the training I had gotten at that time was on their, what's called their J series of Fujitsu, which is kind of like their lighter commercial brand of products, which is still looks, it still acts like their Halcyon line, um, which is more like the one-to-one -one or a multi-head with one, you know, one outside unit to, to however many you know, indoor units, um, but only on a commercial setting. 
And so getting thrust you know, kind of into this VRF job and then kind of learning on the fly, there were, I mean, we, we did get our hands held a lot on that by our local support, but also from the reps, like some of the manufacturer reps were there to kind of help us guy go through that. Um, and thus far, it's been, I'm going to say it's been like two, three years now. I go there for the, for the quarterly maintenance to check everything out and knock on wood, I've not had any issues yet. Um, but I'm kind of awaiting, waiting for the day when something might go wrong or something does go wrong. Then I'll be kind of wondering how, 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 how I'm going to approach that since I've not, I never got like a full, what they call the full three day factory training from Fujitsu. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I just, I, I, I hate to say it, but it's almost like the support from the manufacturers. Some of them don't seem to be what it used to be. Um, Andrew, what, what what do you want to throw in there? Sorry, I was on mute. I just wanted to bring up uh, two points. I want to go back to what Jamie said about VRF or VRV being the future of the industry. And while I agree, it's definitely coming in strong and it's here to stay. I question the safety of it. Um, we have, like, I know there's a hotel downtown Toronto that they put a VRF system in the entire thing. Now, to me, that's got refrigerant running through the entire building. And they have a decent amount of refrigerant. And I know we were going to talk about this later. Um, flammable refrigerants, if they ever go that way, that could be a huge hazard. So I personally don't like uh, VRF systems for that reason. Then That's a good point. There was a sec- and and, and there I'm, was glad, a I'm glad you... I'm glad you... <laughs> well, I'll, I'll talk here and, and, and kind of go off what yeah. you said and then see if you can remember it. But uh, it's a good point. And we were going to bring up flammable refrigerants and equipment. We can talk on that briefly before we move on to the next sort of topic. But um, yeah, that that's a solid point. And if like I, I don't know and I, I haven't seen any plans that they're going to allow that much flammable refrigerant in a unit like right now, the, the amount is very small. Um I can't remember the, 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 it's like ounces, like mere ounces right now that you're allowed to put in, I believe. And, and I see all these new, um, reach-ins that are being delivered to a pharma site that I take care of. And I look at the nameplate every time and it's R290 and I'm like, yep, here we go. <laughs> it's a, it's coming. Right. So, I mean, it's a good, it's a good point whether or not they allow that much flammable refrigerant inside of a unit. I don't know, but also think about how much gas pipe runs through a building and that's 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 dangerous too right but gas pipe runs through a building um in in massive uh, amounts and, and pipe runs so i mean that's just a, a counter to, to that did, did you remember your your next point uh i did but you bring up something too uh difference between gas pipe and refrigerant pipe though there's mm-hmm. a huge pressure difference yeah true true and, and we're not just worried about a flammable issue with refrigerant. Um, it's an asphyxiation problem as well. If, say, say in a hotel room, there happens to be a leak in that one head and all that refrigerant mm-hmm. leaks out into that room, yeah. that could be an issue. Uh, the other thing I did want to bring up is since we are talking about the state of the industry, the future of the industry, the mm-hmm. shift from uh, fossil fuel heating to heat pumps to electrical heating that's huge and that's well it's already here yeah 
no, we, we've talked, we talked about that a couple podcasts ago. We had a really good discussion on, on that as well. And it was the, the electrification of buildings basically is, uh, it might've been the title or something like that, but it was, it was like to get rid of the carbon footprint by using, um, electrical devices, like a, like a, a geothermal heat pump type thing. Is that basically what you're, you're saying? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> cool. Um, do you have any, Jamie, do you have any experience with flammable refrigerants at all? No, no, I've never touched one. No. So what do you, what do you think about Andrew's point about if the industry moves towards that and we can charge up an entire VRF system, VRV system with a flammable refrigerant, we're talking, obviously we're not talking, uh, we're just, we're just playing this out. Like it's pretend right now. Like if, if that's a thing, would that concern you? Oh yeah, I mean, if, I just don't see them allowing you to charge, you know, entire buildings with the flammable refrigerant. But I mean, I'm not the government, but I don't see it happening. But yeah, if they <laughs> if they allowed that, I think it's a huge safety hazard because you have refrigerant leaks all the time. Yeah, coils, fittings, all of it. You know what I mean? Like, I just think it'd be way. I think you'd be putting people at way too high of a risk by allowing entire buildings to have flammable refrigerant. Yeah. And, and there's yeah. also talk, there's also talk about, um, and I'll pass this on to you, Matt. There's also rattlings and rumblings from different people within the industry about um, if, if, if the industry went to a fully charged residential system, that was a flammable refrigerant. Basically it would have to be a unit that sat outside like a chiller and it would it would chill some glycol or water or whatever and send it through a fan coil within the home. So all of the refrigerant that's circulating is actually outside. Have you heard of any of these rumblings, Matt? I just remember um, Brian Orr from HVAC School on one of his podcasts. I mean, this is a couple of years ago. He actually had some kind of idea with one of his guests um, that he had on about having you know, the uh, this idea of having a propane chiller outside. So then you have all that propane outside, much like you would with a gas grill in a sense, and you have that outside, and then you're using another medium inside, like you're saying, like water. And I can I can see that being a thing for the future, you know, especially if we start to go with these lower GWP um, refrigerants, but they are also becoming more flammable. So from a safety standpoint, I can see, well, them saying, okay, well, let's go now instead of using refrigerant within the building, then we'll use another medium to heat and cool the building, whether it's water or, um, or, you know, some other, or like using like a hot and cold deck for, or with, v, with VRV boxes. I'm not sure exactly, or VAV boxes, I meant to say. So I mean, I, yeah, I don't know, but I can't, I, I agree with Andrew and Jamie. I cannot see any um, regulating body saying, yeah, we're going to put a three, these highly flammable refrigerants and let it run the piping throughout a whole building. Cause that's just, I mean, let alone like a leak or anything like that, say a, like a lightning strike hits, a, hits a building. And then what then? I mean, there, then you have a whole building that could potentially just go boom. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's very scary stuff. And when I was talking to the, the guys from blue on about a two L refrigerants that it's supposed to be mildly flammable, they were saying that they got like an ounce of refrigerant to like explode, like a big bang, um, explode like in their, in their facility where they test things. So, I mean, it, this stuff is coming and I think we have to research and look up how to protect ourselves. I think the tools are going to have to change. They're going to have to have tools that, um, 
that are intrinsically safe that have no sparks and stuff inside of them and stuff like that. And you're gonna have to use fans to blow if, if you're brazing or something, like make sure you're purging nitrogen, make sure you have a fan to blow any sort of air around. So it's not collecting and accumulating in one area. There's a lot of different things that are, that are going to have to come out. And I haven't really seen any training yet. Um, we can, we can touch on the training part of this and then we'll move on. Have you guys seen any training as far as flammable refrigerants go on how to conduct yourself around them? Andrew, I'll start with you. Yes or no. I have not. I did do a quick Google search earlier and a few safety videos did pop up. But other than that, nothing from any suppliers, nothing from any manufacturers in the industry, nothing. Okay. Jamie, what about you? You seen any training on this stuff? No, I have not. All right. (laughs) Two Two for two, Matt. Anything as far as any formal training? No. The only thing that I've seen has been really from you or you know, other HVAC school or other HVAC podcasts that have discussed the topic because they are seeing it coming down the pike. Whether, like I said, whether it's you or HVAC school or you know some of these other well-known other podcasts, they're the one. You know, you guys, you all are the ones that are kind of saying, "Hey, beware! This is coming," and manufacturers and equipment people aren't, don't even seem to be aware of it, um, and like. For me, the thing that's coming down the pike that I paid attention to because I saw it was Carrier here is in 2023 going to be rolling out with at least I think it's in their commercial rooftop units, um, R454B, which they're calling Pure on Advance. And I think that was an A2L as well. But, you know, that's coming out here in a matter of a couple of years. And I've not, I've not heard anything as far as any kind of training from them either. Interesting. So we're, we're going to have to get on these guys to, to start providing some training on this stuff because we can't have, like we've, I'm sure you guys have all seen, like it seems to be overseas and like Asia and, and play, maybe like Europe and stuff like that where some of these, where they've been using this refrigerant for longer, some of these refrigeration, <laughs> refrigerators are like blowing up and stuff while techs are working on them. And it's probably because they're not being trained on how to work on them properly would, would be my guess right that's what i would think i mean i've seen i think what is it europe seems to use a lot of r32 which is technically an a2l and i know that you know it's one part of 410a or that's pretty much half of the um, makeup of 410a so i kind of see that potentially becoming a long-term solution depending on how you know at least here in the in the states how the um, epa wants to roll with that or or if it's um what the heck is it carved in California there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be interesting how this rolls out. So anyway, that, that was that was a good discussion. We'll move on to the next sort of topic here. Uh, tools and methods. Like we've had tools back in the day that we, we've all used and, and everything is advancing rapidly. It seems like manufacturers, they produce one tool. Uh, everybody goes out and buys it. And then like a year later, it's like upgraded and everyone's like, oh man, I should have waited, but it's just continuous. And then there's the methods of, of how to do things that, that keep changing as well. Um, but when you go back into like, like uh, for instance, everybody talks about pulling a vacuum nowadays, not through gauges going from unit straight to pump. Um, but it was, it was Rocky, uh, Hyatt on when he got mad about the vacuum police stuff, <laughs> Jamie, you met, you missed that one. Uh, did you guys see it? Andrew and Matt, when he's, when he's getting upset about the vacuum police. Uh, 
No? Vaguely, yes. I think I remember seeing that. Okay, any, any, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so he posted um, a bunch of posts uh, within the same day. And a lot of it was old literature. And I think some of it was coming from, you know what, I'm not even going to guess because I don't want to get the manufacturer wrong. But it was old literature that was basically stating what we're doing now. Short hoses, short, um, large diameter hoses, um, straight to the the pump, right? And and getting rid of restrictions. And, and it sort of outlined all of this stuff, but it was old. So it, it, I found that interesting that this old method is being implemented and promoted now more than it was back then, at least because when I went, came up through the trade um, as an apprentice, it was like, okay, shove your manifold gauges on, yellow hose to the vacuum pump, turn on your vacuum pump, we're going to go have lunch. We're going to come back and charge the unit up. Nowadays, like your, your chastise, especially if you do that online and you show people like you're doing it online, the vacuum police comes out in full force. But anyway, that, that's, that's sort of my in, intro to, to this. Andrew, as far as tools and methods, what are you seeing um, now that you like or don't like in, in the tools and methods that, that you use? Um, and other people are using that you're, you're, you're seeing. So the new tools coming out, all the, the smart ones, the Bluetooth ones, um, I know you're a big fan of them. I enjoy them as well. Uh, I feel like they're a double-edged sword. Uh, for, for certain guys who understand what they're doing and can use that as a tool, as a bit of a shortcut, mm -hmm. they are incredible. They are the bee's knees. They're, they're great. But my problem is apprentices or people who are still learning. If they don't know enough to use these tools, they'll use them as a crutch. Mm -hmm. And it, it will it will hinder them in the long run. It'll prevent them from actually learning what they need to learn. And they're not going to be good techs for it. Now, let me ask you, let me ask you this yeah. to just to clarify. So are you saying like a set of digital gauges is a crutch or an app that gives you diagnostics that comes maybe that you can use with it is a crutch? I'm saying kind of both. Um, if the digital gauges are spitting out your superheat and subcooling and mm -hmm. even saying, hey, this could be a problem, it could be low on charge, you're taking the thinking out of it. You are... You're, you're not doing any critical thinking. You are not going to build that muscle because that's a muscle you have to train your entire career. And if you're not using it, you're not going to have it when you need it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I see. I see your point. Like when I was learning, it's like looking at the PT chart, um, looking, looking at the temperature, looking at the pressure, doing the math in your head. And, and I, I understand what you're saying is like training that, that muscle in your brain to go through these methods. And then once you, you know them like the back of your hand and you apply a digital set of gauges to a machine, you already know all this stuff. It's already trained and it's, it's been like sort of ingrained in you already as a technician. Yeah. And it, it just makes you more efficient. Um, as you move along. So I, I totally understand what you're saying. What do you think yeah. about that, Jamie? Do you, do you agree with Andrew? Uh, yes. Yes and no. I mean, I, I totally get where Andrew's coming from because 
I mean, I think it is. It, it could be used as kind of a crutch, a hinder to somebody's, you know, career in the long run. Um, but also, I think having all that data there will, no matter what, you know, whether they're it's spinning out diagnostics, you know, could be this, could be that. It is getting your brain thinking and it is getting your brain, you know, to remember these scenarios. Um, so, I mean, I, I think they're great, um, but I think also these people should be, you know, trained, like just hands-on, you know, writing down the super and subcool and, and, and doing the math problems in your head, you know, it's just gonna build a better foundation you know, for you. And I don't know, you know, when I was an apprentice, you know, this stuff wasn't like a big thing. So you're still being taught all those, you know, how to do the math and this and that. Now they might've implemented that into the training, but um, I still, I, I still use both. I mean, I, I still use compound gauges. I like compound gauges. I did um, get into the, the smart probes, you know, a while back. And I never had a, a, a digital uh, manifold till recently. And I just never could see myself using it, but I got one and I love it. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> what a lot, that's what happens, man. A lot of people, I, I've watched people bash digital gauges and say they're a fad. And then I've seen people come back and go, you know what, man, I tried them. Uh, and I love them. I, like the efficiency and seeing everything on one screen and in real time, it's it's just incredible. Especially for a senior tech that's that's been there, done that, and and they just want to be efficient in their job and move on. They don't want to they don't want to spend more time than they they need to because they're not really learning the process of troubleshooting anymore. They know the process of troubleshooting. How do I troubleshoot quicker? And I think that's where the digital tools and the apps that, that come with them are a true advantage. Like you were saying, Andrew, um, as you put your hand up, go ahead, Andrew. Yeah. And, and I agree with you and where I'm coming from most of the time, I have a screen that'll tell me all the relevant information, my super my subcooling, my pressures, my suction temperatures, all that, all that jazz. And yeah, it's a wonderful tool. It makes it that much faster, that much makes me that much more efficient. Like you said, uh, you just have to know when to use it, when to rely on it, and and when not to. I'm not saying it's mm -hmm. a bad bad advancement in the trade by any means. It's wonderful, but it's all it can be a dangerous tool in mm -hmm. the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. No, I, I I totally see what you're saying. Um, and and Matt, I'm gonna bring this one to you because you're a big fan of MeasureQuick, and this is one of the things that uh, an app like MeasureQuick can do that you can do. You can do manually, but there's a lot of work involved and a lot of, and I've never done this. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've never sat and done this manually ever in my life until I used um, an app like MeasureQuick. And I think, uh, or I know Testo Smart, the new app for the Testo stuff has it on there. I don't know if Fieldpiece does, but where you can actually get the, the functioning BTUs of the machine, like the actual capacity of the machine rather than relying on the the rated capacity. I know you have the field piece probes. Does that app have that as well? Yeah, the field piece, you have to manually enter in your airflow, um, which I, I've used. I've used the field piece app. Um, I used it more so in the heating season when I first got the probes. 
um, just because then I was able to basically take my my manometer, my two manometer probes, get my total my total static pressure, and then go to a fan chart and get my estimated airflow from that, and then punch that in manually into the app. Whereas uh, MeasureQuick will give you the air, their estimated airflow based on the readings and the, the system information. And and like you said, I tried actually I did try once to enter stuff in manually, and it's it's a giant headache. I mean, you can do it, but by the time you get all done and said and done, I mean, you probably could have figured out what the heck was going on with the unit with looking at your compound gauges and, uh, you know, your, and your, um, your K type thermocouple on clamp on your meter or something like that. Um, so you having, you know, measure quick is a great tool. Again, it's another tool. And I think it's a fantastic tool when you're using it with the digital probes. Um, but even that has its limitations for, you know, um, it can't tell you, for example, like if you have a bad reversing valve based on whatever the readings are, you, there are things that, the diagnostics will spit out at you. And like Andrew's saying too, it's it's a tool, but you still have to kind of use your brain to critically think about, well, what are, you know, are these diagnostics that they're saying true? Like a lot of times I've gotten the diagnostic of, um, you have a return air leak or energized strip heat. Well, I'm working on a gas furnace. There's no way I've got energized strip heat. So there's something else that I have that I then have to dig into. And I don't necessarily even look at those diagnostics. It's a nice starting point or at least kind of give me an idea of what they think is going on. But for me, I can just look at even just look at the readings and say, well, this doesn't seem quite right. What's going on? And then I can dig further into it without necessarily relying on the app. So I would agree that having some foreknowledge before you start diving into an app that spits diagnostics out at you um, is definitely useful. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. And there's, um, I'm going to move on to a, another tool that I think is super useful within this industry. And I don't think enough techs are utilizing it. And it's probably because of the price point, but the price point is dropping on these tools. Um, Jamie, uh, what do you think, or do you own a thermal imager? Yes or no? And then what do you think about them? Uh, because I've seen some cool things done with thermal imagers for troubleshooting purposes that can be done in like a few minutes rather than spending time taking temps of things here and there and everywhere? I don't own one. Um, I've used them at my last company. I think they're great. And uh, and like you're saying, I think it's more the price point. Um, I think if the price point was more affordable for a lot of companies, I think they would probably purchase them more often. But you'll see, you know, then you see the little plug-in flares on your phone that are still great but you know they're a lot more affordable but I, they're definitely not as accurate but um i think they're they're great for a diagnostic tool i mean you can you can see you know the motors overheating the compressors overheating you know all the hot and cold pipes for mechanical you know and restrictions and uh, air leaks and buildings you know what i mean like you and the thing about you know it's just like bluetooth you know, with being able to save that data and you can show the customer, I mean, those, those thermal imagers, you know, have a screen. You could literally be like, look, you know, and show the customer, Hey, look at this leak or, or look at this pipe or look at this motor. It's, it's hot as bald. You know what I mean? Like a picture's worth a thousand words. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I totally agree. And, and I think that my experience with thermal imagers has been amazing uh, up until this point. And like, I can't wait to, I, I've, every time I've come across a refrigerant leak, I've forgot to go back to my truck to get it. Cause I've never seen one in person, but 
from what I understand, you can see a refrigerant leak with a thermal imager. I guess it has to have the light, right amount of leak rate and all that stuff to see it. But um, that would be super cool to take an image of <laughs> just to say, yeah. hey, you can show the, the customer, like, look at this. This is cool. This is cool stuff. And um, like, I, I know that FLIR puts on a class and somebody told me it was in the FLIR class that they seen images of refrigerant leaks. And I'm like, whoa, that, that, that's super awesome. Um, Andrew, do you have a thermal imager at all? Uh, as a company, we've got a couple and I okay. love them. I love them. We've actually recently been pushing, uh, not so much for the mechanical side, not for refrigerant leaks or, or piping, to do a thermal imaging of the starters, of the electrical. And mm -hmm. it, it has been wonderful. You've been able to see bad connections from the heat, over-amping, yep. um, bad contacts. It gives you such a detailed picture. It gives you such an insight into what's happening on the electrical side. Um, I think for all large pieces of machinery, even smaller pieces of machinery, it should definitely be used uh, for the for electrical side. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we used to actually back in the day, we used to have a building downtown that we'd hire an electrician to come in with this thermal imager and check all the panels, uh, all the electrical panels in the basement because it was an older building and that that's what they wanted to do was once a year check everything with a thermal imager and they caught a bunch of stuff like you can prevent fires uh if you go down there with a thermal imager and, and start checking all these breakers and connections and wiring and stuff like that it's actually kind of amazing that you can do that and you can do it very quickly it doesn't take long at all right as long as you know what you're looking for matt do you have a an, an imager thermal imager no, but I would like to get one, and I've seen other guys use it. And I, in, the electrical thing is new to me. That's that's a good point to use that you said there, Andrew. Um, the thing that I've used them, seen the most use on is on the hydronic side of thing with boilers or radiant heat, because sometimes you have those pipes that you can't necessarily see what's going on inside the pipe. So having that is like X-ray vision on a hydronic system where you can see, okay, well here's what's going on inside the system like okay is there air in my radiator or you know is there a potential leak um, with one of the pipes and the other thing i just thought of was you know you're saying about the refrigerant leak i just thought of is there would there be a way even you say if you have non-condensables in a system could you potentially see that where you would see you know on a condenser unit where you'd a condensing unit where you'd see like the heat kind of slowly dropping but then there's just one spot that seems to be colder than the rest or whatever and then you could say hey you've got non-condensables in this system so there definitely could be a lot of applications with thermal imagers, but yeah, I agree. It's the price point right now for me that is uh, preventing me from pulling the trigger on one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the the, the major hurdle. Uh, there, there are there are like like Jamie was saying, like the the ones that attach to your phone um, that are like three or four hundred dollars, I think. Uh, but the, the the quality is not as good as like the <laughs> like these things these things are costly like three four thousand dollars for like a little handheld imager but the images on them are, are are definitely good quality stuff um so my next point here that i wanted to get your take on all three of you is is a method is a is a not a new method but a very uh polarizing method and, and every, every time i talk about it through my channels it's always <laughs> A hilarious conversation and that is press tools for refrigeration right um there's 
there's some different brands out there. Plumbing's been using it for like decades, it seems like, um, from what I've learned recently, like in Europe and stuff, plumbing's been using it for a very long time. Um, refrigeration press fittings. Uh, it's very polarizing. There's like leading the charge nowadays is probably a company like RLS. And, and there's, they used to work with Sporlin, um, that they were under the Zoom Lock brand. And, and I think there was one called uh, Reflock that was a, a bit of a disaster. I don't know much about it, but from what I, from what I heard, Reflock was a bit of a disaster. Um, I'll go back to you, Jamie, on this. What do you think about press tools as far as refrigeration fittings go? I, I love them, man. I don't get to use them. I mean, I'd probably maybe press a handful, less than a handful of refrigeration, you know, fitting zoom locks, but I've done a lot of it on the plumbing side of things. And I think it's, it's like most things it's, you know, you still have to prep the pipe. You know, I've, I've, I've found leaks on press fittings. I've found leaks on braze fittings. I mean, cause that's like the, the one of the hot topics is, you know, is it going to fail? You know, you know, it's going to leak. And it's like, well, it's just like if you were, you know, soldering or brazing, you know, I mean, if you don't prep it and do that skill correctly, like you have a potential for leaks on that, whether you're brazing or pressing, you know what I mean? And, and I think pressing is kind of going to go back to the price point thing. I think a lot more people would use it if it wasn't so expensive, mm-hmm. but a lot of it too is situational. There's a lot of situations where I would way rather press a fitting in like I have a TXV I have to um, replace in an air handler in somebody's condo. And it's a really tight spot. I would way rather have a press gun and just be able to zip it on there real quick and be done. And now I got to set up, you know, flame retardant blankets and, you know, things and I have to worry about burning insulation and all that prep work that goes in, um, you know, for the, the fire aspect of brazing. So I mean, if I had one and I, if I had a tool and, or the company provide me with that tool, I know my company I'm at now has that tool. I haven't, um, now talking about, I'll probably ask them about doing this, you know, repair with it. But, um, you know, my last company didn't, they did all the plumbing press fittings, but not refrigeration. Um, so I, I would like to get into it more. I just don't have the tool. I've never, you know, had the money to buy. I mean, the kid is like... 2500 bucks just to get like three or four jaws you know and then the 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 fittings are extremely expensive so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah no i i totally agree but what i what i what i wanted to get out of you too was do you consider if you press do you consider that removing skill from from the job because you did say like the prep work that needs to go into it making sure the pipe is properly cut uh properly cleaned properly uh reamed out um, then you need to make sure that you're setting the depth correctly on, on the, the, the fittings themselves. Like, do you think that there's any skill taken out of the trade by pressing? I don't think there's any skill taken out of the trade. I just think you're learning a different skill. You know different what I mean? Skill. Like there, yeah. there's so many different things that's in skills that we do in this field. You know, I don't think you can say it's taking skill out of the trade because there's going to be still plenty of brazing and you know and it's comes down to money or choice or situational um, 
like with press fittings, like on construction jobs, new construction towers and stuff like that, or whatever you job you might be on. But really new construction is, you know, you don't have to worry about pulling a hot work permit or having a fire watch guy, you know, when you're pressing as you yeah. do when you're using a flame. Yeah. And carrying around an, uh, a nitrogen bottle and making sure you're, you're purging constantly. And you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I, I see, I see both sides of it. Um, and, and when I, when I post about press fittings, I get bombarded. Like I, I hate brazing. I don't hate brazing. I think a braze joint is an excellent joint. Uh, I just, I just see the obstacles, as you're saying, the situational obstacles is setting up the fire blankets, getting the, getting the fire permits, having the fire watch. And then there's the other aspect is the, the health aspect of, of getting burned or breathing in fumes or breathing in, um, oil that's on fire or phosgen. Like there's those things that you need to think about too, right? When you're lighting a torch, um, Andrew, what do you think? Actually, hold on, hold on one second. Matt put his hand up. Sorry. So I'll go to Matt first, then we'll go to Andrew. Matt, what do you think? Well, we use it a lot. Um, in fact, I was just talking to Andrew before we recorded that um, we we're on a job set. We're not doing a construction project now where, and we did another one where it's a it's an office building that's being converted into a um, high, like basically um, high scale apartments. And we're, we're uh, pressing everything, basically. We are pressing as much as we can um, and bra- and the only thing that my coworker and I we, we braised just over this past week was the joints at the each air handler. Um, they haven't we haven't set the outside units yet, but we just were brazing at the units, just those you know the, the liquid and, and vapor connections at the air handler, and everything else has been pressed. And it's been nice because um, the the one of the safety guys was like, "Hey, you guys need to have a, an extinguisher around whenever you're doing anything with the flame." And so you don't have to worry about that because, I mean, I don't walk around normally carrying around a fire extinguisher, but that's just one more piece of equipment, like you're saying, in addition to the torch with the nitrogen, with your flow meter or whatever, to make sure that you're purging through while you're brazing. And so the press has been, I think it's been a great thing. Um, And we even did a full uh, VRF install at a hotel last year. And we had to have that same kind of thing where we had to pressurize the system to 600 pounds had had to hold for 24 hours, pull a really deep vacuum on it. And it had to hold for, you know, for a period of time and everything was pressed with the exception of, um, we had some inch and three eighth pipe that we braised because we don't have a jaw for inch and three eighth that came with the set that we use. But thus far that system has been in now over a year and we've not had any problems with any kind of leaks on the press side. Um, and we're using, uh, Rothenberger is the name of the company. Uh, it's Connex Banager, I think is the name of the fitting. So it's not RLS, but it's, it's looks similar to like the water fitting where it's that hexagonal kind of press. But thus far I have been loving it. Cool. Awesome. So, and Andrew, do you have a take on press at all? Have you used it or do you have an opinion? I have a take on it. I have used press fittings. I have brazed. Um, like Jamie was saying, both will leak. You're never going to go get away from leaks. Uh, you just have to fix it. It is what it is. I hate press fittings for the for the sole reason that I love brazing. <laughs> I really, really, really enjoy brazing, so I don't want to use press fittings because I f- feel like it'll take away my enjoyment. And, and it does, um, in terms of removing skill from the skilled trades, it's removing a skill, but no, you're not removing skill from the skilled trades. Both, both are going to have 
their place in in the industry in the future. I mean, I highly doubt you're going to go out and get a two-inch press fitting, two-and-a-half-inch press fitting. The cost on that must be astronomical. And brazing, you're never going to be able to get, get away from. Fixing an, a U-bend on a coil, uh, I don't see a press fitting doing that. And one more thing in terms of cost, I believe at this point it has come down enough where um, the cost of the fittings, the expense of that is offset by how much you save in labor. Mm -hmm. So I think at this point they're pretty on par as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Okay. Well, fair, fair enough. Um, Jamie's got his hand up. Jamie, what do you want to throw in there? I just wanted to say that I really enjoy brazing too, but I also don't enjoy lugging around, you know, all the tools sometimes that are required to do brazing. So, but, you know, Andrew brought up a good point with like fixing a, you know, a coil or a U-bend, you know, I don't see a press being able to take care of that problem. And so, you know, you're never going to get away from brazing, but, you know, I love it too. And I've always been really good at brazing and I enjoy it, but there's a lot of times where I'm like, man, I just wish I had a press gun and a fitting right now. Cause I could be boom, done and out of here. Don't you have an apprentice to carry your tools around for you? Come on. No, no, <laughs> no. never really been blessed with an apprentice to just tag along for very long. <laughs> yeah, that would be the, you know what? I would love to have an apprentice every day with me just to carry things that I just don't want to carry anymore. It, it would, and you're just kind of the brains and they're the, they're the, uh, the movers and the shakers. And you're like, do this, do that. <laughs> that's actually, actually, that's, that's a, that's another topic on its own because that is, that is happening in the industry right now. And I might have to go soon because I forgot to plug my laptop in. I'm at 21, 21%. But anyway, that, that is another thing. And I'll get your thoughts on this real quick. And then we'll, then we'll get out of here. Being, remote from a a job site and helping a technician through it there's companies doing this right now um xoi technologies is one of them they have their vision platform i think it's called where techs are going out and making videos and stuff and of the and to be transparent with the customer but i think they have it set up where you can also have a, a remote tech like the super tech or the, the 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 tech that's retired or whatever sits at the shop and he's got a bunch of screens in front of him and he's the tech support for the entire company. And let's say it's a big company that has a bunch of apprentices and a bunch of junior techs that are not quite there at the skill level where they can troubleshoot on their own yet. And, and he or she just sits there and guides them through things and sends them manuals and, and you know what I mean? And, and, and brings the camera closer into what they're looking at in circles uh, that wire and says, hey, pull that off and put it there. You know what I mean? We're, we're getting to that point where we have this kind of brain sitting at the office and the physical body out in the field doing this, do, doing this work. Matt, have you experienced or, or heard about this yet? Um, I have. I mean, I heard, I remember you talking prior with XOI about that sort of thing. Um, and I'm not sure, our company's smaller, but I, what I think might happen in the near future is um, our company has been slowly upgrading our phones. We used, we used to carry flip phones. Up until I just was carrying a flip phone for work up until about a couple months ago. We decided to finally join with the 2010s or whatever, and we're all upgrade our company is slowly upgrading to iPhones. And so 
nice thing with the iPhone is that it has the FaceTime feature. So mm-hmm. if I have a problem with something, I can, you know, I can face, you know, send like a FaceTime request to say, you know, like the older gentleman that I referred to earlier and say, Hey, I've got my, I'm head, I'm scratching my head on this. Here's what I'm looking at. And he could the same kind of thing where he could go, Oh, we'll do this, you know, do X, Y, Z test, ABC here or whatever. So, I mean, I can see that, but as far as like having like a dedicated person, I know, I know my, our guy would, would hate to be sitting, would hate to be sitting in an office doing that, but I know other people would probably enjoy that. But I know some, some guys, you know, they always want to be in the field because they get the, they have that enjoyment of just being out and about. But I do see something like that possibly being in a, something in the future, just like you were saying about the, uh, you know, uh, apprentice consulting business we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And Andrew, would you take a job um, being a remote tech? What if what if you could go to Jamaica and sit on the beach and help a guy through a service call? <laughs> would you would you do that? Is that something that you'd be interested in doing? Won't lie, I've definitely thought about being the first work from home <laughs> HVAC tech in the world. There, uh, honestly, I don't know. I don't know because there wouldn't be someone always needing your help. So there'd yeah, be a right. lot of downtime. So. Mm-hmm. I, uh, how we how we do that with our company right now is a lot of us will take uh, take videos or take screenshots of the data like from those uh, digital manifolds or the touch screens or whatever and we'll send it to each other and using that we will help each other troubleshoot so it's not one centralized person who does that but we we kind of crowdsource it to to all of us and it's been a huge help and uh, touching on the the videos and the phones, a lot of custom. I know this is another topic, but a lot of customers really like seeing and will ask for pictures and yeah. and stuff like that to add on to the work orders. And that's another place uh, our industry's going. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, Jamie, what do you think about this concept of the remote tech? I mean, I, I think it's good. I mean, if you're, I don't know if you're more referring to like a company having that guy or like a big company having multiple people doing that as like that's their business but i i think there's it's probably going to get there um but i'm like matt i mean i'm i'm better matt because i've been using iphone longer and facetime but um we we've been doing that for a long time where we you know use facetime and like i think the biggest downfall of facetime is the video quality isn't the best so if somebody's, you know, moving around a lot, like it's hard to see, but you know, I've helped people through FaceTime. I've been helped through FaceTime um, because I'm more of a visual guy. Like, like I said earlier in this, you know, podcast is you can sit there and talk to me for 10, 15 minutes, you know, but if you just show me like you can save so much time, I can be like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember. Or do you remember this building? Well, what building, you know what I mean? Just, just, I, I've had people just send me a picture the outside of the building and then right away i'm like a light bulb goes off and i'm like oh yeah that unit's there 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 you know what i mean yeah i think it's i think it's i think it's a good thing i think it will probably be there eventually i'm sure there's already companies working on having super techs just employed and helping people virtually (laughs) yeah yeah i i think it's i think it's well underway uh there's probably a lot of startups that are gonna pop up i would say in the near future uh because of because of COVID might have triggered some of that too, and but what, one of the the hurdles I see is that this the the tech that's behind the screen is so used to touching the equipment. I can see them getting 
super frustrated <laughs> really, really quick when they can't just grab the, the screwdriver and go here. Like, this is how you do it. Um, that, that's one obstacle and it would have to be a super patient person. Um, but one, one thing on the side of that, like to, to sort of, uh, build that side up a little bit more is the fact that, because what you guys are saying, we've done phone calls, texting, like I haven't really done FaceTime with anybody. I don't think, uh, but it takes away from the technician that's on the job. Like if you're on a job and someone calls you and they need your help, now you got to walk away from your job to help them. And it, you don't know, you could be helping them for an hour. You could be constantly back and forth with them. And now your job is on, on the, the side burner until their job is sort of kept underway or, or, or well underway. So if with the remote dedicated tech, that's all they're doing. They're not walking away from something else. They are just focusing on the task at hand. And that is that person that needs help. So, I mean, I think that there's going to be companies starting a business doing this. I really see that coming down the chute. Like there might be like five, 10 techs sitting in a, in a, at their house waiting for somebody to call in and maybe there'll be a fee for it. Maybe a subscription fee where you pay like 20 bucks a month, something like that. But you can always call these techs whenever you want and they'll help you through it. I I just see that coming down the, down the chute. Well, I mean, you know, blue on already kind of does that anyway, not virtually. But I mean, you can call a guy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they do that. And I've had plenty of, uh, you know, tech support where, Hey, can I, um, remote into your computer, you know, on like city multi stuff, you know, or, you know, so it's there, it's just putting all the pieces together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. And, and you're, and you're correct. hundred percent blue on does have their tech support through the app. I, I believe it's just phone call right now. Um, but I can see them if, if they want to get deeper into the woods on that, I can see them getting a little bit more virtual, um, through time. Cause I think that's just the, the, the natural process of, of technology really. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of it guys. We've, we've talked for almost an hour and a half and I think we've, we've covered a lot of topics. So, um, thank you. Thank you gentlemen for offering your time tonight. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks for having us, Gary. Yeah. Yeah. No, no problem. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna close this one off and uh we'll we'll talk to you guys. All right, thanks Gary. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks. Yep, you all have a good night. Take care, guys. Bye. Well, that was a super cool conversation, and I think maybe once a year we should do that with different guests. And guests that are are real down to earth, real opinionated, and on the front lines and see this stuff every day and see the trade evolving at the at the rate that it does because let's face it the the trade this industry of hvac and refrigeration is evolving at a massive rate as we we discussed like a manufacturer launches something and like a year later a year and a half later two years later perhaps they're launching another generation of that right it just keeps developing keeps getting better and the feedback and conversations like this actually propel it propels that that improvement of products right not just this conversation in general but conversations all over the web and the internet and feedback and stuff like that it propels the industry forward and that's why conversations and debate are awesome to have because it lets the people know like the people in charge of these manufacturers the people that are in charge of HVAC companies the people that are, are managing people within this industry it gives them an idea of what 
other people in the industry are thinking. They're not in a bubble anymore and, and they got to pay attention. If you want to, if you want to leave out information, if you don't want to dive into the information that's available to you and look at other opinions of techs, then you might get lost and, and your bubble will continue to grow and you'll never be aware of, of what's going on around you. So the conversations are a must. Okay. We just got to do it in a professional manner. Like we did on, on this episode, we, we talked professionally, right? And there was none of your, your mom or, or anything like that, that you get on sometimes like <laughs> get on Facebook. Anyway, guys, I appreciate you guys, but I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.